enemy's revenge. You will be dead in 48 hours. A secret assassin. You will not know who until it is too late. A vendetta of terror on an all-new Babylon 5. You have transmissions holding. Patch incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the break house. there in podcast land welcome to gray 17 babylon 5 podcast we are here to review and discuss and i'm sure there's going to be some discussion of the latest episode which is parliament of dreams for those of you who are joining us for the first time welcome we have a group of both long-term fans and newbies the first section of this podcast will be the newbies and us talking about just this episode so no spoilers for what comes after and then after a while we will jettison our newbies and talk about spoilers for the rest of the series and there will be a fairly lengthy discussion about spoilers after this episode, I bet. So I'm Scott, and with me, as always, is Blake, Justin, Emily, John, Kevin. It's Jesse. I hate you. I know. Andrew, Nicole, and Mike. So let's go ahead and discuss Parliament of Dreams. First, we're going to talk about our first impressions. And when I say first impressions, I mean impressions we'll go into detail on other stuff later so let's go with uh blake so this is where really the series started to find its footing i think in the first season with the cast and the stories and also getting into uh the pieces of what's going to be the broader arc over the next five seasons of the series so really i think this is one of the really early episodes where we start to see what this show is going to become and you know i think uh one thing to keep in mind too we've kind of talked about production order and all that this is the first episode that was written after the show was being produced so the episodes we've seen so far the scripts were written before any film was shot this is the first one to be written after the fact so you're getting the writer which in this case is jms understanding the characters a little bit more and understanding the actors a little bit more at this point i got the impression from last week i thought this was gonna be like a good one like an important one it, it is it is it's good or important both you just don't know why. Yeah, I think it's I think it's the best one so far. Really? The one that won him the Emmy Award. For best makeup, but yes, it did get an Emmy. Oh my god. Oh, no kidding. For best makeup? This is its second wow. Emmy. The first one was The Gathering. They it did get an award, but they also got quite a bit of critical acclaim off this one for one of the scenes in it. The one the one funny part about this, and I was reading through the JMS stuff, he was really pissed off because they aired this episode the same night that Tanya Hardy and Nancy Kerrigan danced against each other in the olympics so he got like a 0.1 share oh no kidding <laughs> so no one saw this episode when it first aired <laughs> i just cannot get over the fact that you have said that this was a good episode and an important episode and it now- is i can't tell you why it's important <laughs> because remember remember keneally it's a novel 
the important part I get like, okay, fine. I, I'm sure there's some nugs in here that are going to come back. We're going to have part, like a half an hour beyond the rim. Just on like that one scene that Emily is liking. <laughs> oh, I've been sitting on it for two weeks. I know my, you have. She my dumbass was she, like, Hey, let's just watch the next one after we record the podcast. And then I was like, son of a bitch. There's so many good things in here. Like this one. Do you know what the last song said just before he died? Even so, I like. I'm watching it. I'm like, this is so cheesy. Honestly, no. I loved it because it's last days of Caligula. Ah, he has become one with his inner self. He's passed out. That too. <laughs> Come on. That you're pointing. That you're playing all of the best shit, which all happens to be Lando centric. He's the only redeeming part of this. No, no, there's other redeeming parts, such as. I'm thinking of thinking of calling her right after my afternoon. They wrote that song for this episode. That was a great scene. What was he eating? This is Ambassador Jacquard's quarters. This is Ambassador Jacquard's table. This is Ambassador Jacquard's dinner. Which part of this progression escapes you? I have used that before at work. (laughs) (laughs) It looks like a pig's head and crawdads, but with the shadow, it also- crawdads are still alive. Disgustingly looked like it could have been like a German shepherd head too. So I was a little unsure of what was going down. When he uh, says, you stay there, he was talking to the crawdads because they kept crawling off the plate and that was yeah. added. You stay there. Oh, nice. <laughs> like it's just going to be two and a half years of me telling you how much I hate you all for watching this show. Uh, you'll be fine. I promise. Justin, how about you? I mean, I, you know, of course, picked up on the religious overtones of the show um, or this particular episode pretty early on. It, it, it kind of went in like a bell curve uh, for me with like a lot of that stuff where at the very beginning of the episode, it seemed like that there was a lot of like almost anti-religious uh, things at the very beginning. And then it kind of, you know, once you saw kind of all the different religious aspects, like some of the different species on the battle station, it turned into, OK, this is actually kind of a cool thing to see how some of these different people kind of have their religious beliefs and stuff like that. And um, some of them are a little bit more spicy um, than others. And I'll leave that for later on in the discussion. But, you know, overall, it's still not my least favorite episode. Um, But I can definitely tell still it's, you know, very early in the first season. And, you know, I can I kind of take a lot of things worth a grain of salt in terms of like production value and graphics and stuff like that, because, when is ever a first season, you know, truly on point. Uh, but, you know, that's kind of my first takes on it. When is the first season truly on point? Strange New Worlds, the end. Emily, what do you got? Okay, so I thought it started off funny with Jakar and being interrupted while he's trying to eat because I felt that. Like, why are you interrupting me with ridiculous questions while I'm trying to eat, go to hell? And I, you know... I was enjoying the episode, and then we get to the scene (laughs) that I'm sure will get discussed in detail later. But all I could think is, what the fuck did I just see? I really wasn't sure what to make of it, and I had to watch the episode another, like, two or three times. (laughs) 
So context on this, uh, we recorded the last episode two weeks ago. We took a little bit of a break and Emily made the mistake of watching Parliament the day after we recorded the last episode. No, it was right after we recorded. I stayed up late and watched it. So I've been sitting on this for two weeks. And then I get a text just an hour after that, just with a WTF. And (laughs) she's been holding on to this for so long. So I'm looking forward to that conversation. John, what do you got? Well... Again, Londo is the greatest thing about the show. I feel like he's super underutilized, and I was happy to see him in his elements, uh, just jamming out, just proving yet again that he and his and the Centauri are the shit, and they are stunning and purple. Um, so that part, huge fan of. Um, the rest of it, which we get into when uh, you inevitably ask everyone what they didn't like, and I usually have much longer segments to go with that. Uh, so I'll save all of that for, for then, but... Um, Overall, not a great episode, but again, I'll, I'll elaborate later. <laughs> All right. No one, and no one's going to point out that Lando reminded you of Scott in any way? Huh? Does Lando remind me of Scott? Is that what? Yeah. How? Passed out on the table? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> He's become one with his inner self. <laughs> I've only passed out a few times in college, kind of, somewhere at Walter's place. Um, okay. Jesse, you're up. Well, I, for one, loved it. It's really turning around for me. Um, I am going to stick to the regular, you know, scheduled programming. I'm struggling with it. Um, I'm going to continue to give it a chance. Um, <clears throat> there were some good things about it, and I will. I mean, I the, the last scene, and we can get into it later, I did really thoroughly enjoy that because when they were talking about the dominant um, – theory or I can't remember what exactly they said, but, um, they, I asked, I literally said out loud to my husband, I said, wonder, I wonder what that is. Like, cause I'm thinking, oh, it's gotta be Muslim. I, I mean, I'm not sure what, but then they just started to introduce people. And I thought that was super cool. So I will, I will give this episode some credit. Um, but I digress. We can speak about the rest later. You know, I said this before we got started. I really do actually love the fact that some of you are hating the show. Because that's the way it would be. You know, we're watching this for the first time. Some are going to enjoy things. Some are going to get some nuggets that they like, some they don't. And some people are just going to freaking hate it. And I just hope that it gets better for you because it's going to be a long two years (laughs) if it doesn't. I'm questioning whether I'm a sci-fi person. And now I'm just lost the whole group but um i'm i'm honestly like like i said last week or the week before this is the first time i've ever watched anything like on purpose that was sci-fi like i think i used to fall asleep to star trek like i would turn it on it would be on you know whatever channel and i would like go to sleep but this is the first time i purposely sat down every single week so i'm hoping that we get to a point where I'm like, oh yeah, this is kind of cool. We'll we'll stick with it. Either way, I'm here for about two. What what are our wonderful viewers say about two years? Yeah, There's we got some. We've got some dope ass um, followers on that group. Like the the bone guy, he's he's into it. Like he, it's kind of cool. I like it. So at Mark York said, uh, he pointed out to us there are 116 episodes and movies for B5. If viewed once a week. That comes to two years and three months until the final episode. So, Jesse, buckle up. All right, we'll move on to Big Daddy Kevin. Um, you know, th- this episode's a lot of setup. It, 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 it isn't my favorite episode. Um, 
I mean, it's the first appearance of, you know, several characters, a few characters, but uh, in the overall arc. But <clears throat> at the same time, I found this episode uh, a little bit on the on the more boring side. But uh, I, I know we're going to get to some more that are really going to knock everyone's socks off, including Jesse. So we'll uh, we'll get there. But uh, um, I'm I'm just glad that uh, Bill Bill Mooney has made his first appearance. So we have we have Lanier on uh, on the show now, and Natoth and Catherine Sakai is here. So uh, definitely uh, definitely a lot of setup going on in this episode. Mike, this was not my favorite episode either. I thought it was a little slow, a little dry. Um, I found myself being distracted by a lot of uh, like silly production choices, like the the goofy like synth music that was played during the Jakar fight scene, and I was terribly distracted by the Narn courier assassin wearing spectacles. I I just could not wrap my head around that. Um, you know, otherwise, uh, I think there probably was a little bit of substance going on in uh, the the religious uh, ceremony that Delenn uh, conducted, but I'm not going to lie to you. I was killing a frozen pizza while that was happening. So I wasn't a hundred percent focused. Uh, but yeah, other than that, it was just kind of a, uh, I don't know, kind of a slow plod. I didn't, I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. Um, I'm positive. Jakar was eating the meat off of a boiled German shepherd skull in the beginning. Uh, that's all I got. <laughs> got it. Nicole. I think that this one had some highlights, but overall I was underwhelmed. Um, I think it was really sexually charged um, throughout the entire episode. I was like, whoa, all right, everybody's got a boner in this show today. Like, what's going on here? I didn't hate it. I just, I thought there was some highlights, which we can discuss as we get a little more into the discussion. But overall, I just, I don't know. I felt like a little underwhelmed. I was kind of like, ah, I could have done without that episode. I did, I did appreciate some of the backstory with some of the characters. And there was a couple of things I noted that um, were never really answered from like um, the very first one we watched. So uh, we can get into that later, but um, you know, I, I can see how it was probably a setup episode, but it just wasn't, it wasn't all that special to me. Like I said, didn't hate it, didn't love it. It was just kind of underwhelming. So the show is just so horny. Like this show. <laughs> all the time it's like the thirstiest show i've ever seen and i had to sit through the first season of bridgerton because oh, that was a good show bridgerton was good that first well season. i mean because you had because you had jakar singing some kind of weird 1940s-esque song about you know missing his love and then direct references made to his obsession with earth women which we've touched on before so he's he'd a weirdo like, he would like bridgerton too yeah he would he would He'd probably be confused by, you know, the hottie. <laughs> There's multiple hotties in that show, honestly. <laughs> yeah, well, I think one might confuse him more than the others. Yeah, I kind of agree with everybody. Uh, this episode uh, was pretty boring overall, but I can appreciate it for the world building elements that it kind of introduced, like some of the culture with uh, a lot of the, the aliens that are living on Babylon 5. Uh, one thing that I'm kind of surprised nobody brought up was... Uh, Delenn, we're kind of getting a little into her backstory, like because uh, her aide, uh, like she's in the heads up, like don't talk about like certain things, and, and it's like never really addressed again. So, really wondering if that'll ever become important later. We have 
talked a great deal about the boners of this episode. So let's go ahead and get to the cusp of it. Ha ha ha. And talk about the scene. Emily's been holding off and talking about the scene for two weeks now. So let's get into it. And we're talking about the Mimbari ritual. So Emily, take it away. What was that? <laughs> like, I was watching it. I'm like, okay, this is interesting. A religious thing. You know, they're sharing, what was it, fruit or something? We're not sure. Like, okay, that is, you know, doesn't seem totally outlandish. And then she gets to Sinclair. And just like the very slow way she puts it in her mouth with her eyes closed. I was just like, what just happened? And then, you know, at the end of the episode, when um, they're talking to Catherine, who is much better than Carolyn, I do like Catherine a lot more. um, She was like, yeah, it could also be a marriage ceremony. And I was like, oh, because we know Delyn knows more about what happened to Sinclair in that 24 hour period. And, you know, in previous episodes, she keeps giving him information that maybe she shouldn't. And it feels like her connection to him is so much closer or deeper than his to her. Like, there is so much additional information she has that he doesn't. And it feels like a really unequal relationship based on knowledge. And I was also just really uncomfortable with that and with that scene. <laughs> I mean, literally, I audibly sat there when I was watching that and go, oh, Sinclair and Delenn just got hitched. Oh, like, <laughs> you know, is that really a real thing? Or is it, you know, just a, a facsimile? Like, is it is it real? I don't know. In five seconds, that couple had more chemistry than that other chick that they kept trying to push off on us all episode you know there's so much going on in an episode and i i i I hear you it's uh it's a little bit intense but i love the characterization of that episode uh, that season too it's um when they hand out the fruit we have garibaldi just completely says i'm not eating that crap (laughs) not Uh, in this temple no no not happening (laughs) we have veer not doing anything without londo doing it first which says a lot about veer and a lot about londo and if you look really closely behind Delenn when she's facing the camera, getting really all excited, you can see Jakar put his fruit in front of Ivanova and steal Ivanova's fruit, just in case his was spiked. <laughs> so it's just little stuff like that I love. Jesse, I didn't notice that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's you only see Jakar's little hand. He grabs the fruit and switches it out real quick. <laughs> Jesse, what do you got? I you guys are. Uh... I didn't know what scene you were talking about when you're like the scene. I'm like, what? There was lots of the scenes for me in this place. So, but my <laughs> issue is like, I, maybe I'm just not invested enough, but I just thought she was looking at him like that. Cause he didn't want to eat the tomato. Like he's like, Mm-mm. she's like looking at him, like put it in your mouth. And then she puts hers in her mouth and we all move on. And I, and I'm, and now feel like I need to go back and rewatch it and like look at it through a different lens. Nicole. I think Emily raised a really good point how there's like an unequal relationship there. I almost wonder if, I don't know if she's like, I I can't tell if she's like in love with him or cares about him or if it's more of like, I hear you laughing over there or like she maybe feels guilty. I don't really know what's going on there, but it's just really awkward. Kevin, what about you? I was going to say something about the, uh, the Centauri scene too. I'm I'm sure I'm probably not the only one, but uh I I thought I thought it was striking how 
the Centauri have almost no spirituality whatsoever to them. And what there is, is basically just boozing it up. But the, it, it's a, it's a very interesting contrast to the Minbari. Justin, yeah. go ahead. I mean, I agree with, uh, I thought the, um, the Centauri one was actually pretty interesting because as soon as it came through, I thought this is like straight up like Roman debauchery. And it makes perfect sense for how like the Centauri are where they have multiple gods for everything. They, you know, they just do all of this, the overeating, the over drinking and everything like that. So I thought, you know, that when, when, when that came through, I was like, that makes perfect sense for who the Centauri are. I thought it was funny how Londo was calling Garibaldi cute and Delenn cute. Everybody was cute. And then he just passes out like Londa was lit and he is fun, you know? And then the other ceremony was like very proper and very like almost like subtle and quiet and not as, as much of a ruckus, you know? Um, but if I had to pick one, I would totally go to the Centauri party. Amen, sister. You're cute. He's cute. He's cute. But in purple, I am stunning. John. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, again, it just speaks to how awesome Londo is and how shady and crappy Dylan is. But um, it does. So not only does it like the party <laughs> aspect, but, the you know, the civilizations, right? So the Centauri, right, were cool. They were leaders. They were rulers. It's all gone to the wayside, probably because they had too many of those festivals, but I'm not mad at it. Um, and then, you know, the, the Minbari, super lame. I thought it very much summed them up and, again, made me realize just how much I love the Centauris and just hate the Minbaris. But the Mumbaris is like, that's like a secret marriage ceremony, Keneally. Like, yeah, that's who like right there. Who wants to party with the, I don't know, outer space uh, Freemasons? Like, freak the hell with that. I want to get back to your earlier point. I want Caligula in the galaxy. You know what I'm saying? That's who I want. I think it says a lot, though. I mean, okay, of our three main non-human races, okay, we got the Centauri who wiped out a whole nother species to become the dominant race on their planet, which, by the way, they did about the same thing to the Narn. We know that. Uh, and again, it's Caligula. They enjoy themselves. And uh, that's what the, the whole celebration's about, is them yes. committing genocide. Yes. And it wasn't a fight to like preserve their uh, way of life. It was a dominance fight. So who, for all we know, they started it. And by the way, um, the, uh, the gods are interesting. And we, uh, we'll talk more about the gods and beyond the rim. Okay. Uh, and then we have the Mimbari, who are very much more ritualistic, which we kind of already kind of gathered. And then we've got the Narn, who did not participate. So reading that as you will. Jesse. I'm honestly, um, I was surprised to see that they were having a festival um, about religion. And maybe this is just, it seems like such a, a basic ideology to have a creator. And, and I'm not, listen, as a Christian, it, it is what it is. But, I, and I don't want anybody to think that I'm like a, trying to offend them or insult them. But when I think about aliens, I think of just this higher like intelligence and like these other species. And I think that, that they would be far beyond the creator of all, or I can't remember the maker of all things. Um, so I was honestly surprised to hear them, the different species talking about the different beliefs and gods. And it just shows you that they're not really that different than the humans. Um, so it was, not that I think that they're all godless creatures, but it just seemed like to me, the intelligence level, a higher intelligence would come with 
different belief systems, but clearly that wasn't the case. One of the things you're going to see through this series is there is an undercurrent of religious themes and structuring within the overall arc of the Babylon 5 story. And this really starts to touch on it with the different religious beliefs, um, particularly within the Mimbari culture, uh, looking at the Centauri belief structures. And then even, you know, the very end scene, scene of this is one that at the time, not a lot of shows could have got away with that type of a scene as to what they did at the end when they did the display of Earth's religion and just had the line of people. I think I saw somewhere they had something like 160 extras were actually on hand for that scene. And there was a much longer line there from where it actually faded out. And the way they did that scene, I mean, for those of us that are longtime Star Trek fans, there was a rule in Star Trek that they were beyond religion. Religion was not allowed into the picture. And we didn't even get that really in Star Trek until Deep Space Nine started up with the Bajoran religion. So to see that in the story writing from the very beginning here and woven in into such an intricate way into this series, I think is going to be interesting to watch how it goes, for the, especially for the, for the newbies to the show. Yeah, I'll, I'll add one thing to that scene too, just behind the scenes piece. You had 160 uh, uh, extras. And according to JMS, uh, Michael O'Hare, who plays Sinclair, was given the list of names twice and then went through them by memory at that point. It only took him two tries to memorize that. So, wow. Honestly, yeah, such a brilliant scene. Such a brilliant scene. I loved it. Uh, real question, John asks, is there Satanists? I, I'm, I'm sure there are. I want to point out, and I'm sure this is a decision made by JMS for reasons, the atheist is the most well-dressed and the first to go. Kevin. I, I wanted to talk about for just a minute the the human uniforms. Um, I've always hated, uh, having watched this show, I've always hated their regular day-to-day -day uniforms, but I really like their uh, their dress uniforms. And this isn't the first time that we're seeing it, but this is the first time that they're on display for a, a lot of the episode. But does anyone else just cannot stand their day-to-day -day leather, crappy-looking uniforms? Does anyone else bother bothered by that? Or is it just me? Okay, hearing none. No, I agree with you. I can't say much because, well, spoilers, but um, these are my least favorite uniforms that we see yeah. in this show. Um, but I do agree that the, the dress uniforms look a little better. I, I think they look a lot better for our security. So Garibaldi wearing the dress uniform, he really looks a lot better in that piece than he does in the drab gray he's usually in. Emily, what do you got? Um, so aside from the whole Dylan shockingly erotic, uncomfortable fruit scene, how did they get that many different, um, earth religions on one station i was because some of those were like i don't want to say small but like maybe numerically not as large and so i was wondering how they got all the where would all those representatives have come from you know i i, I had kind such of, diversity yeah I, I i had kind of the same thought um but then i realized too that you have two hundred fifty thousand people on the station and most of them are humans because earth alliance is running this place and you know you think about it i mean yes there are some people wearing some traditional headdresses and stuff like that but i've known people who just 
keep that kind of stuff with them and when they need to do ceremonial things. So I don't know. Um, the other thing I, that GMS point out, and you can take it with a grain of salt, is most of the folks in that line um, portrayed their actual religion. So um, they were selected because they could easily portray their religion. That's cool. Mike, what do you got? Yeah, I just wanted to kind of circle back and point out, I think it was Justin who said it in the initial thoughts that, uh, you know, in the beginning of the episode, he was picking up on some kind of anti-religious vibes. And then I I jotted down the note at the very end that while that scene was, was kind of powerful, um, when they introduced it, the very first guy in line was an atheist. And the whole point of it was to be introducing the most dominant beliefs of your planet. And so I wondered if there was any significance to that choice to that lineup yeah you know i mean i i don't know if there's any significance although jms did point out himself that the atheist was the first to go and uh, jms's religious background is an interesting one again i i do a shill for his book every episode so i'll do it again if you haven't read um becoming superman i recommend it unless you're our newbies because you can't read it yet but he went through a lot in his younger years, including there was a point where he was with, he refers it to it as a Christian cult and to a point where he actually lived in a communal house with a whole bunch of people. And there was interesting things that happened. So I think, and then he did become an atheist down the road. So I think there's some interesting points there that the writer is projecting Absolutely. For me personally, with that scene, uh, I tend to be a humanist and an atheist. Uh, and I really appreciate the scene because I think the important part we re- we forget is there is no dominant religion for us. Yes, the most populous religion is Muslim, followed by Roman Catholic, but that's still only roughly 2 billion of the 7 billion of us. So I do appreciate the idea that there is more to us than just a title. Justin. I mean, I, I actually applaud uh, what you just said there, Scott, about, you know, myself being someone who uh, was baptized Roman Catholic, but kind of considers himself agnostic or just spiritual. Um, I think that was actually kind of a really cool scene um, to see at the end. But kind of one thing I just kind of wanted to bring up was um, the whole relationship between between Sinclair and Sakai which was, I guess, a kind of very interesting thing to kind of come up with as a new kind of love interest or force and killer. But I, the whole thing kind of smacked as a very Humphrey Bogart-esque type encounter throughout the entire episode. Like it kind of like, when I was watching it, I'm like, this kind of feels like Casablanca, you know, kind of the interaction between the two. And it just seemed like very just very generic, I guess, like almost forced, I guess, if you will, how they kind of interacted with each other and stuff like that. And like, oh, well, if you don't want to be with me now, then you soon will be and stuff like that. And I don't know, it's, you know, while I do appreciate the old, you know, I love Casablanca. I love kind of the old thirties and forties kind of romantic type films. It just kind of was like a very weird place to kind of drop that kind of interaction into the middle of this episode. John, what do you got? Yeah. I mean, when I saw Sinclair and his booty call, I thought, nope, not interested in that. And then when I heard their cheesy, like soap opera slash softcore 
bad porno dialogue and the back and forth. Like, I love you. I hate you. Don't leave. I want to go. You should stay. I, I was like, I, am I going to have to suffer through this forever? Is this a one-off? Can I, I hope she dies on her survey run. Like I was just immediately out on all of it. I hated every aspect of it. And uh, I guess when we get to the questions that I, again, won't be able to get the answers to, um, please tell me this is the death of that romance. But uh, I, my fear is that it's not. <laughs> you know, okay. So you guys gave me so much crap about Londo keeping his eyes open when we watched Born of the Purple. And now you're giving me crap. Well, you're not giving me crap, but you're crapping on the other thing that I actually found somewhat romantic and interesting about this episode is you have two people who basically didn't work out, but every few years they kind of gravitate towards themselves and find themselves in the same situation. And that's interesting to me. That's for me. I mean, that's just human experience things. People come back and people leave and come back and leave and come back. But I'm sorry. I guess I'm just romantic. Okay, listen, you can put it on paper like that and maybe it will be romantic, but the execution and again, those two, I don't, I don't know if it was just the dialogue, which again, it was funny. You said it was romantic. Go back and read it. Sorry, JMS swinging a miss here. You know, don't quit your day job. Don't think you're going to be the new Nora Roberts, but also the chemistry between the two actors just wasn't there for me, man. You know what I'm saying? Again, at the end when Delenn was giving them mm -mm, eyes, I, in that one little scene, there was much more chemistry than in the entire episode of those two. I'll give you that Dylan and Sinclair definitely have more chemistry, but I think the one, the one line that keep, I keep thinking about as you're talking is when they're at dinner, uh, Sinclair and Catherine Sakai, and he starts skipping ahead in what she's mapped out for the conversation and she calls him on it. I think that's just, I thought that was good dialogue, but maybe I'm just weird. Kevin, what do you got? I don't know this for sure, but I'm going to guess because there was that, that year in between the gathering and then actually starting to, to do the series that um, the actress that played Carol and probably couldn't come back for whatever reason. So they just kind of brought in another actress to basically fill a very similar, similar part because she was a ship captain, you know, it, they had a previous relationship the whole bit. It just seemed very similar, but I, I agree. I didn't think the dialogue was strong in that at all. First of all, that's the only award-winning production you're talking about, so show some respect. <laughs> God damn it. I don't have any behind-the-scenes knowledge or anything that I could find about the other actress versus this one, but I'm sure, much like um, many uh, plot lines were transferred from one character to another when characters leave, it's obvious that this person is also somebody who is into checking out other planets, archaeology, stuff like that. And sorry, John, no spoilers, but Catherine will be back. Nicole, what do you got? You know, I got to say, I'm kind of with you, Scott, on the whole romantic part. I really, I don't know. I liked, I liked their story. Um, part of me is because maybe I'm a hopeless romantic a little bit underneath, but also it kind of reminded me of like, not to get too cheesy, but like my fiance and I, like we were friends for years before we got together and it was always like I was with somebody or he was with somebody or it wasn't the right time. And we just kept coming back to each other. And now we're going to get married. And like we've been together almost 10 years, you know, so it's I kind of related to that because um, it is a very human situation. You know, um, we've kind of all been there before, you know, like where we have that person. And so I liked that whole 
sequence. I thought it was really sweet. And um, the one line that she said where she was like, don't touch me unless you mean it. I really liked that. I was like, if I was single, I'd be using that on the boys because, <laughs> you know, don't touch me unless you mean it because I'm kind of shipping for them. I'm rooting for them. I really hope that like when she comes back, they work it out because she said she was coming back and they, they and she was like, do you think we'll get it right this time? And he's like, I don't know. And I hope they do because I just, I don't know. I really liked them. But again, I'm also a big staff. So um, I'm with you on it, Scott. <laughs> I know. Um, that being said, what is with Jakar's pink panties? Nobody has really mentioned that yet. See, just, you know what? I was going to correct you at first because you said Jakar's pink panties like they are actually his but they never actually defined whose panties they were. So they very well could be Jakar's panties. They could be I his. Know. They're, they're you know, in Jakar's quarters. He is Jakar. Garibaldi wasn't judging at all, just being like, oh, okay, these are nice for you. You know, well, we whatever. know Garibaldi's got the lens panties in there from yeah. his second favorite thing. We don't exactly. know. <laughs> my, my only real remark there was going to be that uh, don't touch me unless you mean it sounds like something Jakar would say. Or maybe right. maybe more so Natath, who we haven't. But then about again, that. we all know Jakar well, has an obsession with Earth Girls. So who do they belong to? Which you they know? referenced again in this episode. Yeah, it's, they, it's been are, referenced three times so far in this show. First time wow. during the pilot, Jakar tried to get with Lita Alexander. He claimed it was for scientific purposes, but and then in Born in the Purple, he was absolutely checking out the human dancers. And now even Natoff says, We all know mm-hmm. you like the humans. Are they Ivanovas? We don't know. Maybe we'll find out someday. I'm gonna Justin Ivanova. 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 I'm sorry. We're gonna do a whole series where you guys do nothing but pronounce names wrong. Keneally is like the champion of this, so he can lead the discussion. Okay. Ivan, okay. are they are they Ivanovas? We don't know. <laughs> we will answer that beyond the rim. Whose panties are they? Stay tuned. <laughs> no, we won't. <laughs> Jesse, what do you got? And so like I can get down with what Nicole said because I think like it's a it's it's I don't know anybody that's never had a situation where they try again, try again, try again. Um life lesson to all of our listeners, run because a lot of the times it doesn't work out. But I'm this is gonna be a big surprise. I'm with Keneally on this one. It was cheesy AF. Um and and to hear the don't touch me unless you mean it. Oh MG, like I'm going to throw up. I got that. Bang, 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 bangity bang. The liquid in your mouth right before you throw up. Yep. That's what I was doing because it's like, this is cheesy. I don't like it. It feels unnatural. Um, so on paper, again, I like how can you really put that? Cause on paper, it, it's a great plot line. Um, but the way that it was executed, it just made me a little uncomfy. I was going to go back to the whole, um, Jakar and Natooth situation. Natooth, I I know I'm saying her name wrong. Natooth. But Natooth, I gotta say, I kind of hated her at first, but this this episode made me kind of like her a little bit more. Um, this is the first time you've seen Natooth. No, she was she was briefly in one of the other episodes. I wrote it down. Uh, she was she, not. No, she was. A different no, she character. Was not. They sent her out the airlock. They actually said in this episode, the last one fell no, through an it airlock. Was the, it 100%. was a different person's yep. name. It was a different. Per- it was the first. It was kind of close. This is the first. The first time we're seeing a tot that was a slightly different character. Where? Well, who was the other person then? The first aide we saw was Kodoth. She was very yes. mean and yelled a lot. Yes, and I didn't like her. Sometime between Parliament or uh, Born of the Purple and Parliament of uh, Dreams, 
uh, Kodoth found her way through an airlock. Yeah, they threw her out the window. Got it. And Natoth joined this episode. Okay. Well, I like Natoth a lot better. I think, Kevin, maybe you hit on this. We do get two, I'm sorry, three more characters to the ensemble. And everyone's been complaining, especially John, about how we have too many characters. We have three new ones. One of them, Bill Mooney, is in the opening titles. So obviously, Lanier is going to be around for a while. But Natoth is uh, a recurring character and Catherine Sakai is a recurring character. So we have three new ones here. And uh, yeah, so they're definitely building uh, more of an ensemble as we go. So does anyone have anything else they want to chat about with the assassination attempt or anything with uh, that went along with Jakar, aside from his panties, his <sighs> boar head, and his singing? Anything else? Yeah, he reminds me of Dukat from Deep Space Nine. And I... <sighs> Yeah, I'm pretty sure the Narn are the Cardassians of Babylon 5. You know, for those who've watched Deep Space Nine, and I say this even though this is, this is not a spoiler at all, I actually see Jakar more as a Damar than a Dukat. Uh, <laughs> at yeah. first I thought he was a little bit of a Garrick, but I don't mm. know. There's Because he just seemed kind of... I wasn't sure of him at first. Like, there's kind of something oh, I'm one thing, but maybe I'm another. But I don't know. I'm feeling a little more Ducat. You know, Emily, there is a Garrick in this show and he ain't here yet. And Oh, goody. <laughs> he ain't here yet. And uh, I think I think you'll enjoy the Garrick of this show. He's not, Blake says he's not gay enough for Garrick. Sure. The, the fact that they never got Garrick and Bashir together is actually pretty much the only thing I complain about Deep Space Nine because those two needed to get in the sack during that seven seasons. They absolutely had to. Yeah. And all the non-Deep Space Nine fans are like, what? Nicole, go ahead. I did think it was cool, the uh, Assassin's Guild-like um, whole thing that uh, Natooth talked about, like the whole what it is, what they do. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I know I said her name wrong again, sorry. Natoth. <laughs> Natoth. Ivanova Natoth. I said Ivanova right, but Natoth, I did not say right. So I, but I thought it was cool how she explained the assassin guild. And I thought um, it was really kind of predictable on who the actual assassin was, but I really like how she came through in the end. And I, I really liked how she kind of saved the day. And I, I don't know. I just, I thought, okay, she's, she's here to play. She's not messing around. So, um, but I don't know. I, I don't know if anyone else thought it was predictable, but I definitely was like, oh, it's totally that courier guy. Yeah, I think, and I don't, I don't find that as a fault because I don't think it was a question of who the assassin was. I think the question for me was, how does Jakar handle this idea that within 48 hours, you're going to be dead? And we get so much great stuff from Jakar in this, uh, at least for me. Like Again, the passing of the fruit to Ivanova just in case it's poisoned, uh, dealing with being worried about Natoth, who just happened to show up. And again, uh, Kodoth just happened to be shot out of an airlock. It's just, that's where I think the fun part is on this. But I will say with Natoth too, and again, this is just from this episode, I really appreciate that she is kind of a counterbalance to Jakar. Her sarcasm and her, she's not Veer. Veer very much is a sniveling, I'm going to do whatever Londo says. Natoth's like, I'm going to keep you on your toes. And I appreciate that about her. John, what do you got? Yeah, so this was the uh, subplot or plot line of the episode they actually enjoyed or at least was had the most thoughts about because the beginning, I've got to tell you, what, what a petty dying wish. And I was so here for it to record a message to say, check it out, dog. You done give me dirt. 
but I'm dead and you're about to be dead. I got to tell you, I filed that in the back of my head for as soon as I even start getting remotely old or sick, I'm cutting probably 50 messages and just shooting those out into the, into the, the, the internet. But, um, I also, again, we hit the Freddie foreshadow with the flower where it was like, Oh, well, did you get this assassin flower? No. Well, don't worry about it. Next scene assassin flower and i was like oh all right come on this is crazy and then you know when they pair that with uh jacar's just ridiculous upper torso that i could have went the rest of my life without seeing i thought man we are really two for two with this plot line at the moment um and then the, the last thing i wanted to say with that though too was i was happy and also had questions because we had one of the worst transitions I think I've ever seen on this show so far into the underworld scene. I, I don't know what, I mean, they should just use the Star Wars swipe because of the little green trip, whatever they had, that transition was, was terrible, but, but to, to stick with that underworld again. So I, I have questions and I know we can, I'll reiterate these in the questions portion, but again, we got bootleg Jabba that Jakar went to for some bodyguards. The garage. Yeah. So he knows who he is. All, like all the ambassadors, everyone seems to know who this dude is and what's going on. And yet Garibaldi, again, is not on top of his job and has not shut this shit down. I don't understand what is going on, but I definitely do need the backstory for um, Praying Mantis Java because now I'm interested. I've seen him enough. Now I got to know, you know what the story is. Um, and then, you know, Jakar, the, the last thing I'll say is. You know, when uh, the courier knew what was in the message, that wasn't a tip right there when he was like, oh, it's someone super close to you. He wasn't immediately like, oh, how do you know what's on this message? Like, come on, man. I thought you guys were supposed to be badass. I completely agree with you on the idea of you know, when you're when you're about ready to check out being vindictive as hell just sounds fun. And it's not only that he made a list of people he wanted to take out. He flat out says, I took all of my life savings that I have. Not an, I didn't have enough in life to take you out. But now that the money doesn't matter, I just liquidated everything. And now I'm going to take you out. That vindictiveness is priceless. The one actual interesting thing that came out of it, uh, and I hope that they'll dive into, was the uh, fact that the ambassador's quarters are apparently Switzerland. Like they're apparently super neutral and you can't really be held accountable there, right? Because he's basically like, hey, as a courtesy, I allowed you in here. But basically everything else is off limits. So know your, you know, know your role. I thought that was interesting in terms of, I don't know it's, if it'd be- It's like any embassy. It's like any embassy. It's the same right, thing. But I guess what I'm saying is that to me, I'm, I smell an episode out of that, or at least I would have an episode of that, right? Something happening in there and what jurisdiction is and isn't allowed. Like I, I would take something out of that. Emily, what do you got? I want to know more about what Shakar did for someone to do that. Cause wow. And if he did that to one person, I have a suspicion it's not just the one. And they talk about like this assassin group and I'm assuming this will come back at some point because yeah, it sounds like he made a lot of enemies and I really want to know more. I also want to know who owns those pink underpants. <laughs> You'll have to wait for five years of show to find out who the pink panties are. Uh, I would say too, not only do we find out that Jakar probably has some skeletons in his closet because he even says... I'm not really worried about what the assassin's going to do to me. I'm worried about what would come out if they, they tell say what I've done. But also, this is the second ambassador we have found out who is fairly high ranking. Uh, Jakar, they say Jakar spent time on the council, whatever that is, and now he's stuck at Babylon Five too. Blake, you had something you want to say about down below? You know, I think a lot of us, especially sci-fi fans, are used to in Star Trek. You've got very controlled starships. There's not a lot of 
people on board outside of the ship's crew or their families. Even in Deep Space Nine, which was a space station, it was still a highly controlled environment. Versus what we've got with Babylon 5, it, it is more of a city environment. They just pulled it and put it in space. So you've got everything in there that you would have within a city. So you've got those parts of the city that are not necessarily as controlled or as regulated. You've got people coming and going through all the time. There's going to be a few episodes down the line that actually dig into that a bit more um, and get into that whole nature of why those sections of the station exist, why people are there. But I think that's the one thing is this is much more set amongst a city in space rather than a controlled starship or space station environment that we're used to in a lot of other sci-fi. I think another point to that too, and this again is not a spoiler. I don't even know if it comes up in the show at all, but it's definitely in the Apocrypha is don't think of this. It's called down below, but don't think of this as like levels in a building because you're on a space station. So you have a core and it works its way out. So actually that down below area is the outer lining of the station, which is closest to the hull, which is why it's hotter because you don't have as much cooling it is where all the industrial pieces are for the equipment and everything else. And it is the actually the largest part of the station. When you think about it in a diameter sense, it is on the farthest outreaches in the occupied areas of the station. So keep that in mind when they do down below. It's Again, it's not really part of the show, but when you just think about it, it is not like the bottom of the station. It is the outer ring of that station. Mike, what do you got? Yeah, I just wanted to comment on... Um... <clears throat> kind of how Jakar is portrayed in this. And I think I've said before that uh, Jakar is one of my two favorite characters in the show, the other one being Londo. Uh, I thought it was kind of interesting because up until now, Jakar has very much been portrayed as this kind of arrogant, shady guy who I think you said was set up as the straw man villain for the series. I commented previously in an episode that, you know, Jakar talks about how he is vicious and he dreams of murdering Londo in his sleep and having his children make instruments out of his bones and so on and so forth. While Londo doesn't have any of that same sort of animosity uh, that he holds toward Jakar, it was kind of interesting to me in this episode that at the same time as they basically lay some breadcrumbs about Jakar having a lot of skeletons in his closet. I thought it was kind of neat how the episode ends with him showing mercy to the assassin, to the guy that tried to kill him. Granted, maybe he looked at him as just, this is an employee working for the guy that hated me. Um, but whatever the case, you know, they made it pretty clear with the talking about how his former assistant could just be thrown out of airlock and nobody <laughs> batted an eye at it. It's pretty easy to murder somebody on Babylon 5 if you want to. And if Jakar was really as bad of a dude as he comes off as, then he very easily could have murdered that assassin. But instead, he decided to hit him with a little one-liner and, uh, what was it? You will know pain. You will know fear. Have a pleasant flight. Thank you for flying Spirit Airlines. And then they send him on his way. Um, so I thought that was kind of a, a an interesting twist <laughs> on his character. So you say spirit, but I think that's Frontier's uh, slogan. You will know pain, you will know fear, and then you will die. Frontier. Oh, it's spirit. Spirit flies <laughs> in India a lot. It's it's still true. <laughs> Kevin, what do you got? Thomas Kopech, who's, uh, the uh, plays the assassin in this episode. If you look at his IMDb, he's been in absolutely everything. 
and he's he's an incredibly good actor i I enjoyed seeing him in this episode he he was giving me some serious bob newhart vibes at first i think it was because of the glasses and his line delivery honestly i I thought it was him for a minute and then i had to go and look him up I literally said to my husband, "Is that Bob Bob Newhart?" My husband goes, "They don't have the budget for that." Same, yeah, same. <laughs> hey, at this time, Bob Newhart was had his own sitcom, right? When was right. Newhart on? It was all before this. What? No, I don't think so. I'm not to IMDb that. It was early. It was late '80s, early '90s. I think it was. Yeah, it for was Newhart. '90s. Yeah. One he had two. I thought he had two. The one where he they're did. in the apartment in the city, and then the host. it ended in 1990. Welcome to the Bob Newhart discussion hour. Okay, John, I hear you have some hate for people that you want to share because you haven't done that already tonight. Go for it. <laughs> well, I mean, we can't let an episode go by without shitting on a, a Ivanova. You know what I mean? Like, let's go. Listen, you can't just change your hairstyle, let it down, and all of a sudden you're a Russian party animal, okay? I'm not buying it. I still hate you and hope all the bad things in life happen to you. You know what? Okay, hold on. Time out. I will get behind. Well, I won't get behind, but I will at least acknowledge that maybe you got something to say about Ivanova after her wooden portrayal through all of this. And just as you mentioned, John, sometimes they're just making her suffer just to build character. But this is the first time we get to see Susan be Susan. And she's the only one having fun at the Centauri get together. She is drinking it up having a great time while Garibaldi's looking like he's just ready to shut the place down. I think that was great. I see right through it. Okay. They know Londo's the best character. They know <laughs> character everyone loves trying to suck off that Londo juice and throw it on Ivanova. I'm not here for it. I'm not having it. And, and I say, honestly, that was like the most animated I have seen her in the entire series so far. Yay. All, all aboard on the Ivanova. You call her Ivanova one more time, Keneally, and I'm, I'm going to have to punch you. So the smile was so unnatural. <laughs> it was so, it was like forced. Oh, we're having fun. It was like a snarl, right? Like Oh, really? Because like she was like drunk and having fun from what I was watching. It looked very no? unnatural on her face, which is why I was like, who is this? Are we trying to make us like her now? No, you're not doing it, ma'am. I'm not jumping on that board. I have in my head where I think Jesse's going to come on board with the show. And I also have it in my head where I think John and Jester are going to come on board with Ivanova. We'll see if I'm right. We'll see if I'm right. Unless she's cussing somebody out and like I see parts of me and her, we're not going to get there. So. Jesse, I will tell you right now, wait, wait. Uh, I, I swear to this, and I've, know, I've known Jesse for the better part of 20 years now, I will because we're old. I will tell you of all the characters in the show, if I had to like go through and say, okay, Blake is that character. Justin's that character. You are Ivanova. Just wait. Blake is nodding. He agrees. No, I agree. I agree. 100%. I agree yeah. too, but she's going to kill us. <laughs> and I think maybe, maybe that's why Jesse has so much. <laughs> why she's heart. Yeah. She Jesse so is much- Ivanova. She just doesn't want to mend it yet. Yeah. You could have told me this 20 years ago and I could have been nicer to people then apparently because the face no you just 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 stick it out with susan i'm telling you okay we're gonna go ahead and start winding things down with the newbies last thing we're gonna do is our questions and predictions and i know some of you have thrown out some already but go ahead and just reiterate your questions and predictions now so we can get them all listed out and that way blake kevin mike and i can answer them all for you after you've been kicked off the chat so We'll go to Andrew first. Questions and predictions, Andrew. For predict for a prediction, I said uh, 
I said Delenn is going to betray the the station. Because I'm really hooked on that, that line between her and her aide. Uh, and for the question, did Sinclair unintentionally get married to Delenn? So my questions would be, are we going to hear more about this council and the whole thing with Lanier and Delenn? Um, I know there's more there to it. Um, and I want to know like more about that. Um, so, and how much of a problem or conflict is that going to cause? Um, my other question um, was, is this whole Jakar murder plot going to continue or is this like the last time? And then also my prediction is I don't think we're going to see the last of Catherine. I think she's going to come back and there's going to be a lot of drama between her and Sinclair. And I also think um, that there's going to be a little bit more, maybe even a conflict between Dylan and Sinclair, just because I feel like there was something unspoken there. So we got one newbie thinking that Dylan and Sinclair are already hitched, and we got another newbie thinking declare, de- declaring that Sinclair and Dylan are going to have conflict. Cool. Uh, let's go to Jesse. Yeah, this is more of a hope than a prediction that um, Sinclair and Catherine crash and burn terribly and don't continue the don't touch me if you don't mean it. I can't. I can't handle much more of that. God, I I need some more romantics in this chat. I really do. God. Okay. John, tell me about how you hate Ivanova and you want her to die. Go for it. Yeah, you don't need more romantics. Apparently you just need more like you need my grandma who just sat at home during the days when she's retired just watch all those shitty soap operas that's what you need on this show um so i have more questions than predictions i threw some of the predictions out already but here's some questions again that i know i won't get the answer although maybe this first one will so i remember i brought up the comms thing right and i was like is yes. that a and he said yeah it's an implant and then he ripped that thing off like a magnet and his pants were talking yeah it's- no it's i say it was a dermal implant that holds it on so under the skin they have just like this little i for lack of a better term a magnet it's not really a magnet, but they have it under the skin. And then they put the link on top of it and it holds it there. So it's not, the link is not implanted. The dermal connects it to the link. All right. Anyways, I wanted to follow up on that because it made a, uh, an appearance here. Uh, also birth number. She goes, you have my birth number. Is that, they don't have telephone numbers anymore. That apparently is going out of style. What the hell was that? It, she, she has a ship. When you have a ship at dock, you're the military guy here. When you have a ship at dock, it's birthed. So he, he knows where her ship is birthed. Okay. That's her birth number. I was in the Army, not the Navy. Check. Okay. So we don't say things like birth and stuff because, well, for reasons. It's spelled um, B-E-R-T-H. But listen, but that's that cheesy, shitty dialogue that I'm talking about right there, Scott. See how, look how your eyes lit up. You're like, no, no, no. He gets it. He knows the birth number. He was into it. I was like, well, that was terrible. So what was the whole thing? Is it because, so were we, were we supposed to take, it was like her position was the reason that he can't look her in the eye? Or is this some shitty Minbari thing where like, if you can't look like women in the eye, you can't look like ambassadors in the eye. Like what's going on with this caste system? I think without going into too much, we already know that Delin is a high ranking individual. There is definitely a hierarchy in Minbari and we'll talk more about it. And I think you'll, you'll, You'll get more as we move on. I mean, the, the reason why I, and I, I, I didn't really say my first impressions. I enjoy this episode because much like as Blake mentioned, we're starting to get more character building and more universe building. Now we've got some more pieces on the board. And so we're starting to learn more about the Mimbari, the Centauri, the Nar and all that. So I think you're going to get more 
into the Mimbari hierarchy and recognizing that there is definitely a class system. Absolutely, there is. All right. And my last, my last comment, uh, I'm going to jump on the same prediction train. I think Delenn is shady and cannot be trusted. So I got my eye on her. Emily, go ahead. Questions, predictions. Why do Narn names sound Romulan or Vulcan? I don't know. That's been bothering me, especially because, with the two new characters. Because JMS grew up watching the original series? Well, I'll take that as an answer. I'm really trying to figure out the Delenn and Sinclair thing. I mean, I know she knows a lot. I know she does. It's obvious. But I just want to know what she knows. And then why did they make that scene so uncomfortable? Oh, my God. That's, I think that scene's going to haunt me for years to come. So thank you. You know, I never looked at that scene as erotic. I always looked at it as like a marriage scene, you know, because they mentioned it's a, there's a marriage going on. But now, Emily, you have scarred me for life. And I will well, never get to watch that scene again without thinking that Delenn is opening doors well you're welcome and that's what you get for making me do this <laughs> you're welcome too okay we'll go ahead and wrap it up there for parliament of dreams next week we're going to talk about mind war and speaking of star trek we have a star trek alum joining us for mind war and i'll leave it at that and emily's going to have fun with that one i think we'll go ahead and let our newbies head out the door we will then go to our credits, and then those who have either watched the whole show, all five seasons, or have no care in the world about being spoiled, stick after the credits, and then Blake, Kevin, Mike, and I will answer all these questions and predictions in the Beyond the Rim segment. So until we talk again next week about Mind War, I have been Scott, and with me has been... Blake. Justin. Emily. John. Jesse. Mike. Kevin. Nicole. Andrew. Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to this podcast and links to our social media accounts at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast. We want to hear from you, so please join the discussion on Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Gray 17 is a part of the Front Row Network and NPR Illinois Community Voices. You can find all the Front Row shows at thefrontrownetwork.com. Gray 17 is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All audio clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing Babylon 5 themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? The rim. And beyond that? The truth. Welcome back to Beyond the Rim. This is the section for spoilers. So if you are new to Babylon 5 and care about watching this for the first time without being spoiled, leave now. If not, we'll go ahead and dive right in. And we're going to let's talk about Sinclair and Delenn first, because there was a lot of talk about Sinclair and Delenn. Blake, want to talk a little bit about the marriage that we saw? Yeah, so I think it's interesting. They're picking up on a relationship with Sinclair and Delenn, which is not going to end up happening, at least not in the way that they think it is. I mean, what we know is Delenn knows the background with Sinclair from the reason the Mimbari uh, surrendered at the Battle of the Line, which they discovered humans have Mimbari souls. And that's going to become a major plot point um, later on. 
but what we're going to see is with that relationship is Sinclair gets very close to the Membari, ends up on the Membari homeworld, and ultimately will become the great Membari figure of Valen, um, one of their great historical figures and who really handed down a lot of their culture and society that comes from that. So there, there's a relationship there, but it's not going to be the romantic relationship that some of our newbies are predicting it's going to be. I think some of that is because the change in the series that we'll see when we get to season two, there was different plans in place. And I can see where that the original plan was heading there, but when it all gets changed, what we see it evolve into. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the original plan flat out, they got married in this episode flat out because the whole point of this was Sinclair having a Mimbari soul is the chosen one who's going to merge the two species and Delenn will be his mate. So that is, and right now, Michael O'Hare is not leaving the show at this point in episode five. And so, yeah, they, in the terms of whether they were writing this, absolutely, they were married. But you're completely right. How this show is going to turn out is what you just said. The one thing I find really interesting because the show shifted when Michael, Michael O'Hare had to leave and we go into the Valen piece is you've got a nice little uh, bit of uh, paradox here because Delenn is telling... Uh, the, what Dylan is saying is actually what Valen told the Grey Council when he went back in time with B4, uh, Babylon 4, to fight the shadows. So the first time Valen is hearing what he is going to say to the first nine is Dylan repeating it to him. So it's a nice little chicken and the egg thing there as well, too. I mean, and really, you look at the theme of the whole Mimbari ceremony they had on here, it was you know, regeneration and rebirth and part of with through struggle and sacrifice. And you look at what Delenn's arc is going to be and what she sacrifices and the, you know, transformation, everything she goes through for fulfilling in here. There's a lot of foreshadowing for me in this episode for the larger arc that's going to come, even though it wasn't necessarily fully planned at this point because the changes that would come, the foreshadowing still plays really nicely in what we end up with. Well, and that's why I love that even though we have a huge change coming in about 15 episodes with Michael O'Hare leaving the show and getting Sheridan, it still works. And that is really good writing on the retroactive side. I think JMS did an amazing job a year after this episode was made to make this all work. Kevin, what do you got? I was just going to say basically the same thing you did, Scott, that I think the original plan was that they were going to be romantically involved. So I didn't really pick up on that until we were talking about it with the newbies. Uh, realizing that, but uh, I, I really didn't see that scene the the way that everyone else did. So it was interesting that they picked up on that. Agreed. And I, I think we're going to, you know, cherry pick stuff as we go. And then absolutely when we get to our conversation after Chrysalis, which is the last episode of the season, we will dive deep into Michael O'Hare and what was planned and then what happened. So we will, we've already kind of talked about it a little bit, but when we get to Chrysalis, we'll have a whole conversation about the original plan and how that changed. So one other thing I want to throw in there, because we mentioned the threesome between Delenn and Sinclair and Catherine Sakai. Uh, and sorry, John, when you're listening to this, Catherine does come back and she is integral in season one. What we do find out is, and what I like about this, the conversation that folks had, and again, I'm the romantics, so I guess, shocker to me. Um, how Catherine and Sinclair always meet up again and then get pulled apart again. Well, obviously, 
they're going to get pulled apart again because first Sinclair is going to get sent to Mimbar where he's going to be the ambassador. And then he's going to get sent a thousand years into the past when he takes B4 for a ride. But in the, and that's the end of Catherine Sakai in the series itself. But if you read the extended universe, which is approved by JMS, there is a novel where Catherine actually time travels back uh, to meet with uh, Sinclair well, after he's left uh, with Babylon 4 and become a Membari, and they stay together. So they will, at the end of the day, be soulmates. The end. What else we got for the question and predictions for our guys? Anybody, what do we, what we want to talk about next? Well, that piece uh, of, uh, you know, Lanier coming in and really uh, revering her uh, and then being told, you, you can't call me by my title and you can't reveal that I'm on the Great Council we, we all know where that's going. I was surprised that they they didn't uh, focus on that more because the, the first time I remember watching the, the series, uh, I, I focused on that a lot. But I think they I think they just got to talking about too many other things in the episode. Well, and John did hit on it. He asked why yeah. they couldn't do it. And, you know, it's actually there's a there's two things there. You've got the lens on the Great Council. And for a time, she she was leading the war effort. And then we will find out later on that she gets offered to be leader and basically dictator of the Mimbari people, but also both Delenn and Lanier are in the religious caste and Delenn is a higher ranking member of the religious caste. So even if Delenn wasn't in the great council, you have uh, a hierarchy there that the Lanier is uh, dealing with too. And, you know, I freaking love Lanier and I hate where his character goes and we'll talk about it, especially when we get to season five. So seeing Lanier now in his, you know, proto Lanier state, I'm interested to see how I feel watching this show like this. Cause usually again, I binge this show and I roll through it real quickly. I'm going to watch for two and a half years, Lanier grow and then get character assassinated at the end. And it's going to drive me insane, but go ahead. What else um, we got? Another piece I think is interesting that we'll see is, there's that line that Delenn gave to Lanier about how can I have an aide who won't look up? Mm. And what yeah. we'll hear later is in the flashback scenes when she was the aide to Ducat, who was the head of the uh, council. Yep. That, you know, as you, we mentioned to the newbies, there will be a Ducat show up in this show and that's it. When she was his aide, Ducat looks at Delenn and says, how can I have an aide who will not look up? So, you know, that line will get reused later as well. Um, and make a little more set kind of where the tradition was. And then that thinking amongst Delenn and who her teacher was then that that would make sense. Yeah. That's a great pull. Uh, Blake, I actually forgot about that. That's uh, that line is great. And I think it shows that mentorship that Ducat and uh, Delenn had, and then what Delenn and Lanier are going to have. And of course, as we do know as well too, again, Lanier is going to fall in love with Delenn, which makes things even more interesting as well, too. So the this 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 start out is an interesting piece. So let's go down the list here. What else are our guys say? Um, there was uh, Delenn is shady. As uh, we know, uh, Delenn is far from shady. I think she is the most probably the cleanest character in this show when it's all said and done. She is the one, at least the one that is uh i'm sorry is she the one that is or the one that will be i always forget what zathra says sinclair is the one who was sheridan is the one who is and delin is the one who will be yes okay what am i missing guys what did they talk about uh they asked if the jakar murder plot would continue and 
no <laughs> no i don't yeah i mean I, I think the inner workings of the narn actually we don't get much of the inner workings of the narn because in less than a i can't remember what episode it is but in less than a year station wise the narn are gonna get blasted in the stone age so i don't think it's gonna matter much <laughs> what their hierarchies are you know and i was i was kind of thinking about that we all we all know that lando and jakar you know have their fate right yes. and, and lando and lando already knows who it is that has his hands wrapped around his throat he probably could have saved jakar a lot of time and effort in this uh, 48 hours by just telling him that oh, no you're not gonna get killed today me and you in 20 years we got a date with destiny yeah well i think some of it at this point too i don't think they had the narns fully developed at this point for kind of what they because we haven't seen a lot on the narns in general at this point other than jakar and his aides we haven't really seen a lot into the governance of the narn or exactly how that works you know we'll we'll hear occasional references to the kari but we don't really know or no i don't think we've heard that reference at this no point. He, we just heard the council we have not heard about yeah, the we've kari. heard the council we haven't even heard the kari yet yep so you know i don't think at this stage uh, jms had exactly the structure and the society of the narns mapped out like what he did for the centauri or the membari at this phase the one thing i will say about what jms did have mapped out just going back through the the usenets and everything else it was brought up after this episode, but before we got into more of the Narn stuff that the Narns weren't really talked about religious wise. And he actually mentioned in Usenet before it came up in the show, Jaquan. And he says, we are going to get into that. So he was mapping some stuff out, but I agree. I think they definitely have not delved into it as much. And again, this is the first episode written after they started filming. So he is definitely still in, you know, startup phase for sure i think we covered it we got all the shipping done this time oh we did not answer whose panties they are i we don't know obviously <laughs> this is not a plot point but i want to know from you guys just because we know jakar and we know where jakar because he becomes a religious leader and then he becomes a rebellious leader, a, a, you know, a leader of a revolution. And he winds up strangling the crap out of londo and he dies with londo who do you believe the pink panties belong to jakar they're just cars he's he's cross-dressing on the side i mean you know whatever floats your boat <laughs> like, we have a scene in an episode where he has three women at a time yes yeah he's a, he's a ladies man and he's usually humans and, and there's a line from and it's actually in a talk who has it of Ambassador, it's not my place to speculate how anything gets in your bed <laughs> yes that was from this got episode. that line coming no, that was in this episode. Oh, it was this one. Okay. And Natoth said this episode. So I, there wasn't much love for Natoth by the newbies, and I love Natoth. Although, me too, yeah. When they changed the actors for Natoth later on, not so much. But right, yeah. This this okay. this actress is much better. So Kevin thinks it's Jakar's panties. Blake, you think it is Arando's panties. Mike, whose panties I, are? I'm Jakar's also on? going with Jakar. Okay, you, I, I, like I, this. I think I he like gets this. freaky. I like this <laughs> with his little robe. You know, I. I I don't know. I, I I I part of me wants to think it was Lita Alexander before she left, but I just I just hope for the best for Jakar. Okay, well I'm looking forward to next week, uh, as I kind of alluded to with Mind War. It's not honestly a very good episode, but it is the first time we get Bester. And I'm looking forward to talking with you guys, even more so than with the newbies, about um Psychor yeah. and about Bester, because I'm sure we're gonna have a lot to talk about. And 
there's a rather big plot hole that happens in mind war when it comes to um uh what happens so i'm looking forward to talking about that too foreshadowing all right all right uh until next time i have been scott and please be sure to go to anchor.fm slash gray 17 podcast where you can find everywhere you need to subscribe to this podcast but also you can find our twitter and facebook links so you can join in the conversation and with me as always has been kevin like like <laughs> have i ever told you that you are very cute for a mimbare? Oh, and you are cute too, in an annoying sort of way. <laughs> Everybody's cute. <laughs> Everybody's cute. Even me. <laughs> but in purple.